Manu S. Pillay needs no introduction. But just to quickly jog your memory, this is his fourth book in five years. His first book, The Ivory Throne, fetched him the Sahitya Academy Yuva Puraskar Award in 2017. Two other bestsellers followed. And here we are with the fourth blockbuster, False Allies, India's Maharajas in the Age of Ravi Varma. The idea of documenting history through the paintings of Ravi Varma is a masterstroke. It's a line of thought unexplored before and offers a new look at a narrative that has previously been explored in a more jaded manner. The Sandeepan Gitanjali Maini Foundation is so proud to have given this dynamic author a research grant for this book and I cannot wait to hear more from him on his research, the characters in his book and some interesting moments he encountered during the course of his writing. Welcome back to The Expert, Arm Manu. It's wonderful to have you podcast for us again. Thanks, Archana. It's wonderful to be back with a new book. Earlier, I think we spoke about Rebel Sultans, which again, SGMF had supported. And I'm, it's, it's a delight to be back discussing another book, which is also thanks to the SGMF that we have it with us today. So four books in five years. Are you exhausted or excited? <laughs> Both, actually. I think in, in today's world, you can't get excited unless you're willing to prepare yourself to be a little exhausted as well. Uh, you know, you have to put in the hours, you have to put in the effort. And then after all that painstaking work, you can relish uh, a small glimmer of excitement. And, you know, that's how it is. And I'm at the moment definitely excited because the books come out. We've had wonderful press. We had a lovely event in Bangalore hosted by SGMF uh, on the on the 24th of September. So overall, I think so far it, things have been going well. And I hope it continues and the reviews are also good and that we can all continue to be proud of this project. So uh, why did you choose to focus on only five kingdoms in this book? Well, simply because you see the book is about false allies is about the princely states of India. It's a historical Mm -hmm. work. But as everybody generally reads in their in their school history textbooks, there were 562 princely states, of which even if you reduce it to the 100 major princely states, what you find is that's too big a number. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do a textbook kind of thing that was too generic too all over the place. Instead, I wanted to investigate a smaller number of kingdoms for different themes, uh, you know, for their own internal histories, going in-depth into the subject. Mm. And what made uh, a lot of sense was weaving Ravi Varma into the story, because as everybody knows, in the late 19th century, while he's very famous for his mythological works, he was also a a very glamorous portrait painter. And in fact, much of his revenue was generated, much of his success and fame originally came from portraiture. And Mm. whether it was, you know, painting grand of the of the British Raj, but also painting various Maharajas. Mm. And I realized that, you know, 1862, when he comes as a young boy to the court of the Travancore Maharaja till about 1881, he's in Travancore. So there's one princely state you can cover uh, based on that part of his career. Okay. In the late 1870s, he makes a brief sort of visit to the state of Pudukota in Tamil Nadu. So from mm. Kerala, he goes to Tamil Nadu. And so that gives you an opportunity to discuss Pudukote, which has its own, the history of which is very different from Travancore. So you've already got two princely states with very different histories. Then in the early 1880s, he goes to Baroda, which is a Maratha state in in Gujarat. So it covers sort of a Marathi royal family, but also in Western India and Gujarat. So that's your third princely state. Then in the mid 1880s, you find him in Mysore. So again, back to South India, again, a, a completely unique state with its own history. So that's state number four. Mm-hmm. And shortly, and of course, he continues to return to Baroda and Mysore. But shortly before his death in 1901, 
Uh, yes. He dies in 1906, so five yes. years before that. He is he's in in Udaipur, which is a Rajput mm. state, and which was altogether different from all the other states he's worked in. So mm. I realized that just by tracking the artist's travels and his career with this portrait enterprise through the princely states of India, you can shortlist five. In fact, six if you count Hyderabad. Even though ultimately he didn't pay for the Nizam of Hyderabad, mm. but I left Hyderabad out and I chose the five major uh, states where he worked, and I realized that he becomes this wonderful thread. through which you can draw this history out you can mm. not only tell the history of the states and the rulers whom he painted but you can also weave in some of his own experiences in these states and i discovered he he connects to these states in very fascinating ways you know he okay. he painted the maharaja of mysore and it was the same maharaja krishnaraja vadiar fourth in whose reign ravi verma's own great grandson who was the future maharaja of travancore came to mysore for administrative training and mm. if you look at the book we have ravi verma's portrait of the maharaja and i've also included a photo of the same maharaja with his great grandson same wow. great grandson had a wedding proposal from the granddaughter of the maharaja of baroda also a man that ravi varma painted so he's not only professionally involved with these princely states and their rulers hmm. there are these family links that continue down the generations which i thought made him a very strong thread by which to weave the narrative together awesome so um how difficult uh, was it for you to research today uh, do we have adequate archives to provide enough information for such a heavy narrative we do in fact the thing is uh, we've got of course the national archives of india which are used there's mm-hmm. material in the british archives in london i saw some material from the national library of scotland uh, some digitized material from universities in america you know there were these old articles written on ravi varma which uh, you know are now sitting in various scattered collections around the world and luckily due to digitization you can you can sort of pay a fee and gain access to that mm. there were a number of newspaper archives uh, there were a number of periodicals and journals from the early 20th century which are no longer available but again you can if you make an effort you can find them so i was able to find rather obscure uh, write ups on ravi varma from 1911 from the 1920s mm. Uh, and link those to the princely states but then of course there's a lot of secondary material a lot of books a lot of studies a lot of academic essays i think the book has if you look at the book it's 568 pages in total of mm-hmm. which about 350 is the main text Correct, and yeah. 170 pages are just notes and bibliography i know that was a pretty text. long set of notes that you put in yes. no but I, i tend to do that because i think it's important for people also to know how solid your research is mm. and for people in future if they want to trace more material they hmm. should be able to do it easily by simply looking at your notes so if right. i make a statement and you go into the notes and you have an almost almost one paragraph of notes there then hmm. it's very useful for that person to develop that argument in future so it's also ah. a way to sort of help advance the field itself hmm. to help further research itself and you know some of these gems were so fascinating you know i found uh, as everybody knows there's an extract of ravi varma's uh, brother rajaraja hmm. varma's diaries were published yes. but yes. not all the diaries were available at the time it was published some were destroyed some went missing so nobody knows the full collection some years are missing for example Correct. so i found this very interesting section of the diary which is not in the printed version that we today have hmm. but it was the section of the diary that got printed in 1915 if i'm not wrong hmm. in a newspaper and hmm. it had some fascinating details about ravi varma's father about his mother about how ravi varma's father's family had gone into debt and it was the artist who basically went to that brahmin house repaid their debts bought back their house and allowed those his father's brahmin family to continue uh, living in their ancestral home hmm. uh, you know i found small details about how ravi varma you know towards the end of his life he regretted that he had painted the who's who of the world but he had never thought of painting his own mother till she had died So uh-huh. the one painting that exists is a posthumous painting. 
So uh, even uh, on Ravi Varma, there were these small, interesting snippets that give you an insight into the painter's mind and to into his personality, and you know, which is always very special because these historical figures are also human beings, and mm. it's always wonderful to you know uncover new insights about them. So while you've also thrown light on all of these princes and royals whom you've covered in the book, you found out some new information on Ravi Varma, which I'm assuming has never been published before till false allies came out. Yes, as far as I can see, this detail on his father's deaths, for example, I've never read anywhere. Hmm. Uh, you know, not even in the best works that exist on Ravi Varma have I seen that. Hmm. Uh, so to the exact years of his mother's birth and death, such details, small things, but. I've never seen these details published anywhere. There was okay. a wonderful essay I found by a Kurtu Ayer on on Ravi Varma's sister, which mm. also has some very interesting insights and and information. Okay. Uh, so you know, these are small things which I may not include it necessarily always in the main text, but mm-hmm. for a discerning reader, if they look through the notes, they'll find lots of very interesting stuff about Ravi Varma himself. Mm. And in future, if somebody is working on Ravi Varma, hopefully it'll. Uh, serve them and and help produce a more up to date biography or a more up to date study on the artist. Awesome, and this is a good uh, you know point to actually focus on for all the readers and you know kind of request them to actually go through the notes because that's probably something that you know once people are done reading three hundred and fifty yes. pages of the book they would want to ignore because they yes. they feel they've read the story. Yeah, the the notes are frankly for a, a, a the kind of reader who actually enjoys it so it's it's targeted so within your reading audience there's a segment which is the type that reads the notes as well Absolutely. when i was a kid for example i wouldn't read the notes kid when I, I mean when i was in my teens for example i would just read the main text but today i don't do that today i also make sure to read the notes i'm very mm. curious about what the sources are and frankly in today's world it's important that so i mean errors exist in all books right? right but you minimize errors by making sure that everything is cited everything mm-hmm. has a source which means that even those people who you know may come to your work with a negative eye even those who may want wonder you know whether you've done a good job it becomes difficult for such people to erect barriers because you have been Correct. extremely solid and strong in how you've constructed your argument yes. and in in an age of fake news in an age of all kinds of people dabbling in history all kinds of people thinking they're art experts mm. i think it's very important to sort of you know have that kind of clarity have that kind of detailing so that our work stands aside and apart at a different level from yeah. the uh, the generic work that is done yeah and it's it's really fantastic that you've not focused on ravi varma's art per se Yeah. You only focused on the people whom he has yeah. painted and examined them as characters. So that's something I just wanted to clarify for our listeners yes. that this is not a book on art. It's, it's not an art history. Yeah. Even when the paintings are examined, it's only examined for historical analysis. For example, mm. you know, Pudukote Raja's painting. I find it historically interesting that you know the the painting has the Raja of course posing, but his hand is kept on a copy of Homer's Iliad. <laughs> which is supposed to represent that the raja is a very well-read anglicized you know cosmopolitan figure but in the background there's also his ancestral temple so i'm not analyzing the painting skills or or the artist skills mm. i'm not analyzing the art itself but i'm analyzing the historically sound elements that are interesting as mm. a historian what can i read in that painting that is Absolutely. the that is the subject not Absolutely. not the art uh, itself i'm not an art historian So in your findings did you actually come across the fact anywhere that you know Tondaiman read uh, Homer Yes he was extremely well read in fact he was considered a weak political figure in the sense uh. that his administration was a bit backward but okay. he was an extremely charismatic man he he spoke english fluently everybody who came and met him used to say that he was so well read he was so charming he was a very very well educated man Uh, you know that's often the case you know sometimes you find that kings are more scholars than kings and mm. i suppose uh, ramachandra tondeman was in that kind of a position 
where he was a perfect gentleman but not necessarily a very skillful administrator mm. but he had he had divans like sheshaya shastri who also ravi varma painted yes uh, and and ravi varma was very fond of sheshaya shastri was the one who invited him to go to the court yes, yes and you know Tondaiman essentially hands over the administration to Sheshaya Shastri, who then saves the day. And Pudukote's history, which I investigate in the book, uh, Sheshaya Shastri leaves a very strong stamp on Pudukote. That's a very interesting fact that you know you've brought to light here, because once again, in the generic art history book that you're reading, you're not coming across this kind of information. So it's it's great that you know uh, people can actually find that here now. Yeah, so in, in sense, this in this search that you've had of all these characters that you've examined, who's been your favorite? In fact, several actually. I must say that one is I know my editor was very very fond of Fateh Singh of Udaipur, one of the uh-huh. you know who Ravi Varma painted in 1901. He's on the back cover. He's right? on the back cover of the book. Yeah. And in fact, today I got a, a letter from the current custodian of the Mewar uh, yes. legacy, Arvindji yes. Mewar, uh, and and he sent me a wonderful letter today about how he he received the book and was very happy and so on. Hmm. And but what was interesting about that painting is if you look at Ravi Varma's other portraits of the princely rulers, they're all projecting what you would. call a very modern image so some Correct. of them are wearing more westernized clothes you know in the sense that they're wearing indian fabric but they you'll see that they're wearing trousers for example yes or under the achkar in the udaipur painting the rajput maharaj is very confident of his rajput identity so mm. he's wearing the old fashioned angrakha he's not wearing any british medals he doesn't have any english books in the background in fact he spoke no english ravivarma's brother's diary says that when they went to see him uh, they were not received in a modern darbar hall but in an old fashioned one where everyone squatted on the floor and they spoke in hindustani or hindi and you know such languages and maharaj was holding in his hand a shield and a sword mm. so even though he's using ravivarma to depict him through oils in a very modern contemporary technical format hmm. he also is very keen that the audience that will view this painting must continue seeing him as a traditional figure while ravi varma is depicting it and the art in itself can be studied there is a historical dy- dynamic also in play in the way that painting is framed hmm. and for me that fateh singh is, is a very charismatic figure the the other important figure is of course uh, ravi varma's first patron ailyam tirnal of travancore again a very interesting ruler modernizer very gentle and diplomatic in how he pushed back british colonial pressures and and modernized his kingdom and this he, he sort of broke that entire cliche that indian princes were somehow backward whereas mm. in reality ailyam tirnal proved that no you can be very modern while staying true to your culture while staying true to your identity and that comes across very strongly in ravi varma's state portrait of ailyam tirnal which right. is still interesting in fact when you bring up udaipur it just comes to mind that you know many times people uh, who go to visit the udaipur palace and you know see these uh, magnanimous portraits of the ranas that have been painted by uh, ravi varma in that very old traditional uh, yes. you know mughal uh, miniature style they don't know that that's a ravi varma painting because yes. it's so yes. unlike his common style Yes so in fact he did four he did four paintings which were basically copies of the old miniatures yes and which again an art historian will look at it a certain way what mm-hmm. i see in it as a historian is that basically the maharana is keen to project his ancestors in the exact same way and mm-hmm. sort of glorify them but in a new medium he's not allowing westernization to dictate to him he's actually right. saying i will take this much westernization but i will still choose how it must be depicted how it must be applied in my court so there's, there's also a political slash historical thing happening there and mm. and ravi varma is not just the witness he's actually an important catalyst in this kind of uh, dynamic and there are very few who would have actually examined it in the manner that you have done so we leave it to the readers to figure out more as they go through the udaipur no, chapter you know wonderful there's a wonderful book on ravi varma's art by rupika chavla yes. in some ways i see this book as a kind of historical companion to that 
and yes. you know rupika chawla is very well associated with sgmf so we all yes. know her very well we admire her and respect her yes. and i thought you know if you read both books uh, perhaps you know uh, that will give you the art component of course it has a strong biographical element as well mm. whereas my book will bring alive the world in which ravi varma operated you yeah. know this is the, the whole idea is to bring out the complexity and the historical importance of that period in which ravi varma operated yes. so that together you get a complete image of what that was all like absolutely and kudos to her for having you know researched in a time when uh, communication and internet was not as oh, yes. easy as it is today oh yes yeah yeah so she's done a fabulous job with that book and i'm sure like you say your book is going to complement that perfectly in bringing so much more perspective to what one reads in her art history slash biographical narrative and that's the the point of re- all research right you're not yes. you're not trying to uproot somebody you're not trying to sort of fight with people what you're trying yes. to do is contribute to the conversation in a constructive Absolutely. way so one person builds the stage till this point you build hmm. the rest of the stage a third person may come and build more on top of it that's Absolutely. how the subject itself moves forward we yeah, and that's uh, you know, that's the way you share your knowledge with the world correct, right you correct. and it requires an open mindedness it requires hmm. a kind of uh you know capacity to be very humble about your research you know it's quite tragic i've seen people who think they are the you know like the people who achieved some great thing and you know only they know what is right mm. and they have some monopoly over it which is not the way you go about research there is a basic humility when you put out knowledge uh, there's a basic humility one must have when one is contributing to a subject because mm. others have helped you get to this point Absolutely. and what you are doing is helping more people in future to take it yes. from there that yes. is the attitude one must have and i i hope that false allies will Uh, will serve that purpose rubika yeah, chawla you, given the the artistic uh, element i've now contributed i what i hope is the historical context mm. and in future uh, say 10 years from now a young bright historian comes up or a young bright art student comes up and she decides okay i've got these two elements let me now see what else is left and Absolutely. contributes a third element and Absolutely. and then we can all be very happy about you know where it ends up Yeah it it it's only going to benefit the reader or you know the end user when they have so much variety to choose yes okay so coming back to the book uh, which is one of your personal favorites as far as ravi varma's paintings that are in the book go there are of course he was he was a wonderful at portraits uh, mm. in fact in some ways his mythological works are of course very popular and that is what i often i've noticed in auctions they sell at a much higher price mm. but for me portraits are very interesting because i find human beings interesting and mm. how he not only frames them but how he tries to project their identity matters so mm. the very first painting in the book uh, unfortunately it could only be carried in black and white mm. uh, is a painting that he did in 1887 and it's fascinating because it's the 17 year old prince of travancore who's just passed his matriculation exam and ah. this is the 1880s when the british are still saying oh indians backward you know can't good for nothing can't rule themselves unintelligent people we white people must come and save them mm. and the very act of painting that prince on a tricycle which is mm. what ravi varma has done tricycles yes. were these huge you know huge very fashionable yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, things in those days queen victoria had one and by plain painting the prince on that and he's wearing an indian cap and he's got earrings and so on but he's mm. wearing western clothes otherwise and he's looking out at the viewer mm. the prince is not is some random kid sitting on a tricycle he's actually making a point saying that i am not your racist st- stereotype i am not your racist caricature i have as much a claim on this modern instrument as you do i am mm. as well read as you are so ravi varma there is not merely depicting the likeness of the boy he is actually mm. depicting the boy's personality as mm. the boy wishes to be seen similarly you know my my most favorite uh, painting is of course ravi varma's mother in law mm. uh, which is now in a private collection yes. and it used to be in the travancore royal collection and it's a stunning stunning work because yes. we often hear about how ravi varma uh, painted 
these very coy, fair-skinned beauties with delicate features and so on. This woman radiates power. She just radiates strength. She's dark-skinned. Uh, you know, her features are very strong. Her eyes are, are sort of glaring at you. In my mind, it is the most exquisite and the most unique Ravi Orma portrait that that exists. Hmm. And and I wish more people would look at it because it's such a such a distinct piece and Absolutely. it tells you so much about. Uh, you know, the, the, again, the stereotypes that were made about Indian women being uh, docile and that kind of thing. And this mm. painting completely demolishes such stereotypes. Yeah, it's, she uh, looks like she can, you know, just burn you to ashes with her yes. gaze. It's far from us looking at the painting. She, It looks like she's interrogating us. You know, <laughs> from her painting, she's looking down at us and telling us, what do you think you're looking at? You know, Absolutely. mind your business. <laughs> That's a fantastic way of putting that, putting together what we fondly call Karta Muma because yes, she's yes. dark skin. Yeah. That was what the Travancore royal family called her. She's their ancestress and Ravi Orma's yeah. mother-in-law. And yes. because she was dark skinned in the family, they used to call her Karta Muma, just as Ravi Orma's daughter, who's very beautiful, was called Sundariya Muma. See, such cute and interesting, uh, you know, little monikers they gave these people. <laughs> so what's the next idea brewing in your head? Well, Is there one? For now, I think I want to focus on finishing my PhD thesis because, mm-hmm. you know, that's been uh, going on for a while. PhDs are, long, are a long process. But mm-hmm. the final writing of the thesis is a, is a challenge in its own right. And I think having put out a 568-page book, <laughs> I'm quite happy to <laughs> now keep my head down and focus on the rest of the work that's there. And, yes. and just take it from there thereafter. Uh, here's wishing you the very, very best and all success to false allies. We want you to be as successful as can be and sell many, many million copies of the book. Go into 10, 20 reprints. <laughs> I don't know. But it's a fantastic book. And I hope everyone who's listening in picks up a copy and reads it. But thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you with us again. Thank you, Archana. And thank you again to SGMF for making the book possible in the first place. I think we couldn't be more happy that, you know, you've actually <laughs> bought it out. So thank, thank you for that.